Uh, good morning, Journey. All right, so we've been talking about money all month long at Journey. Today is our last message. So today I'm going to teach you how to be rich. Now, don't smile too quickly or grab your pen. Yeah, somebody said like, amen. First time you ever said amen in your life in church, like, I want to be rich. So I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about being rich today. We're in week four of a series that we've been calling Broken. Um, and we're trying to learn how to break the cycle of living spent. We spend so much ministry time with people who are broken or breaking simply because of the financial pressure on their life. So we wanted to address and see what the Bible had to say. Today we end that series. Next week we start the series that I've been waiting to preach for more than six months. It's called The Lamb. Um, if you would ask me, Christian, if you could choose something to preach on every Sunday for the rest of your life, what would you choose? The answer is Jesus. I would just teach you more about Jesus every Sunday for the rest of my life. Really, if, if you don't leave having learned something about Jesus, I've really not even done a good job on any Sunday. But next month, all month long, we're doing a series called The Lamb Making Sense of Easter, and we're going to learn a lot about Jesus. If you have friends who don't go to church who've said, I'd be interested in learning more about Jesus. If you have friends who do go to church that said, I'd like to know more about Jesus. If you have friends who go to Catholic Mass who say, I'd just like to learn more about Jesus, this is the place to bring them next month. We're going to teach about Jesus all month long in a way that hopefully helps you understand Easter better than you've ever understood it in your life. That starts next Sunday, goes through March. Today we wrap up this series called Broken. It's a series on managing money, not on giving money. We told you the very first Sunday of this series, we don't want your money, we don't need your money. This is not a series, so you will give us more of your money. This is a series for you to have more of your money. God doesn't want or need your money, but he wants you to have more of it. And we've been learning these biblical principles on finances. If you haven't already, reach inside your bulletin and fire up your app, or you can just watch the screen. The last three weeks, we've learned five biblical principles about finances. We learned the law of the harvest says that we sow and reap in different seasons later and greater. So if you manage well now, you'll reap well later. And if you're not reaping good things financially now, maybe because of something you did 15 or 20 years ago, but small changes help you get where you want to get eventually. We learned in principle number two that your heart is buried deep within your treasure. So you have to surrender treasure for God to get your heart. He doesn't want your money. He can't use your money, but he wants your heart. So he needs your money that's attached to your heart so he can do some surgery on your heart and give you all your money back to spend the proper way. Principle number three, we learned that everything comes from God and belongs to God. And the number one question that Christians should ask about money is, how can I honor God with my money? Not how much do I give? How much do I save? How much do I spend? But how do I honor God with all of my money. Principle number four we talked about last week, an awareness of what you don't have can be poisonous to what you should value most. We talked about that 10th commandment and coveting and the ability that we have to overspend, spend money we don't have, to go into debt we can't pay just because we're aware of something that probably wasn't supposed to be ours in the first place. And principle number five we learned last week that debt is choosing to live in slavery. Debt is choosing to have a master. And you say, Christian, that's an overstatement. Okay, this month when Visa calls, tell them no. This month when American Express calls, tell them no. This month when the car bill comes due, just don't pay it. Just tell them you're not in charge of me and see what happens. Debt allows somebody else to be master over your life and over your finances. And we've been learning these biblical principles so we can wrap some practical financial wisdom from Scripture around our life. We've learned three things. You have to have a process or a system for tracking your finances. I've been asking you all month long, spy on your money. You really can't manage your money until you know where it goes. You can't change it unless you track it. Thank you, Mark Sharp, for that line week one. Number two, you have to develop a budget in order to spend intentionally and to 
honor God with your money by funding your spiritual priorities first. God said, hey, invest the money I give you in these things. Jesus, your physical and emotional health, your family, your career advancement, your spiritual community, your hobbies. You can't tell your money where to go unless you have a budget. Two out of three Americans do not have a budget. They just kind of spend it as it comes in, and they never have enough of it. And we learned last week you can't live above your means. You can't spend money you don't have. And if you're in debt, you have to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And then you have to monitor areas that lead to debt. Why is it that you're so aware of things that you don't have and you have to have them even though you can't afford them? That's what we've learned today. We learned the final principle and we're not on the top story of the building. Today we're going down to the basement of financial management. And here's the final principle we learned. The foundation of honoring God with your finances is living with contentment. The foundation of honoring God with your finances is living with contentment. You can't do it unless you are content with what you have. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, because we're going to see what Paul tells Timothy about money. And here's what I want you to know. Um, If the Apostle Paul were your mentor, I mean, think about that. Think about if the Apostle Paul were your Sunday school teacher. Think about if the Apostle Paul were your small group leader. Think about if you went to a men's group in the morning led by the Apostle Paul. He would talk to you about your money because all he is for Timothy is a mentor. And he's talking to Timothy in his spiritual mentorship about his money. So money is important spiritually. Webster's Dictionary defines contentment as this, feeling and showing. Not just showing, but actually feeling and showing satisfaction with one's possessions with their status or their situation. That's the secular definition. Let's look at what Paul has to say about it. Let's look at the spiritual definition in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to go back to 1 Timothy all day long. So if you have a Bible or your app open, just keep it open. We'll keep going back. We start in verse 6. Here's what Paul mentors his young friend Timothy with. He says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, not the root. Money's not evil. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. So we're going to learn today from the Apostle Paul listening in on his mentoring session with his young friend Timothy that the foundation of honoring God with your finances is living with contentment. But Paul used a Greek word for contentment, the word autarkias. Autarkias. And here's what this Greek word autarkias means. It means being satisfied, feeling sufficient. That's what it means. It's a person unflappable and unmoved by external circumstances. It's someone who can't be tempted to do anything but what God wants them to do by outside forces because they're totally satisfied with their life and they feel like what they have been given is sufficient for who they are and how they're supposed to live their life. It's somebody not controlled by what they have. And Paul says when you combine that with godliness, you get great gain. Now, for those of you who work out, This should get your attention. We all want to see great gains. For those of you trying to lose weight, 
It should get your attention. We all want to see great gains. For those of you investing in the stock market, we all want to see great gains. For those of you who had your child take the ACT once and they need to take it again, you might be hoping to see a great gain in that score. Like we understand great gain. That means much bigger, much better. And Paul says your life can have great gain if you live with godliness and contentment. Here's what that looks like if we could put it into a statement. It's someone who says I'm totally fine with what I have. And I'm totally obedient to how God wants me to use it. I'm totally fine with what I have. And I'm totally obedient to how God wants me to use it. Godliness with contentment. Would you say this is you? Would you say this describes your spirit and your heart? Would you say you want this to be you? It currently isn't because you've sown poorly and now you're reaping poorly, but you'd like To get there, do you want to live a life that is summarized by the words great gain? If you do, we have to learn to be content. And contentment is something we can measure as we look at Scripture. Because the foundation of honoring God with our finances is having contentment, let's look at how to measure that. We've learned five biblical principles so far. Let's look at the last two, number six and number seven. Number six is this. You can measure contentment by how you spend your extra Now, some of you are really excited because you're thinking, I don't have any extra. So what's the next point? It's like, you know, I I don't think I need any more of this point. I don't even have enough, much less extra. Are you sure? Paul says if you have food and clothing and you live indoors, everything else is extra. So let me ask you, have you seen a movie yet this year? Did you go see Black Panther like everyone else in America at some point? If you've seen a movie like even in the last year, it's because you have extra. Like if, if you've ever had Starbucks instead of Folgers or Maxwell House in the morning, it's, like it's because you've got a little bit of extra. If you've ever eaten at a restaurant, I mean like even fast food where you pay someone to give you your food rather than making it yourself, it's because you have extra. Hey, do your kids play competitive sports? It's because you got a lot of extra, right? Like for those of us who, you know, play competitive sports, it's like, where do I find someone with extra? Just go to Legacy any Sunday during the summer. And it's like, all those people have extra. Hey, do you have a car? You have a car? You realize less than 10% of the people in the world have a car? I mean, think about that. Less than 10% of the people in the world have a car. You have a car? You have, you have two or three cars? You have a house that your car lives in, like called a garage that you can close at night? You, you've got extra. Have you ever traded in something that works perfectly fine just to get one that's newer and better? No, I'm not talking about your phone, right? Like I, I, you know, I get that none of us can be on a flip phone. But have you ever like traded something that works perfectly fine in for something just a little newer and a little nicer, even though it's a little more expensive, then you have extra. Have you ever had a garage sale? Like, what's that? It's like, that's... That's all my stuff that I don't even need. It's like just extra. So I'm going to sell it so I can go get the new iPhone. Like, you know, you see how extra works, right? You can measure contentment by how you spend your extra. And here's the spiritual point here. What you do with your extra shows what controls your heart. Jesus says what you do with your extra shows what really controls your heart. You say, Christian, but I don't have extra by Paul's standard. Most of us who live in America have extra. Look at 1 Timothy 6.8. As we talk about contentment being the foundation of managing our finances, Paul says, but if we have food and clothing, we will, you circle that word will if you have your mind, we will be content with that. If we have food 
and clothing. We will be content with that. You say, Christian, that's crazy. Not really. You know, Danielle and I just turned 40. Now, the reality is I turned 40. She's 38. But when she had a baby, we said, we, t- we had a baby. So I tell people now we turned 40, even though she's probably got about two years to go. We just turned 40. And most of our friends are in a, they're either a similar age or they have kind of a similar life story. We got married when I was 21 and Danielle was 19. We were really young. And our first year of marriage, we were in college together. And remember, I told you a few weeks ago, I couldn't, I couldn't have a job because I played football in college, had a scholarship, and you weren't allowed to have jobs then. So my stipend that I got was $252.12 every two weeks. Danielle worked as an intern at a church, got paid just a little less than I did. My mom and dad paid our health insurance because they believed in us. Her mom and dad paid for her college. But together, we made less than $1,000 a month. A lot of people in our church have a similar story about when they first got married. And when we talk to people about that time in our life, we look back fondly on that time. And we're like, the best year of our marriage was that year, like when we had nothing. Like we had no financial pressure. We had no financial concern. Like all we had was like food and a place to live. And that was, that was really the best time of our life. Like that was the best time in our marriage. Now we have more stuff than we've ever had in our life. And we look back to the simplicity of those days and think, no, that is really living. You see, when I, when I have friends who downsize, I have a lot of friends who sell all their stuff and they downsize and their life radically changes. I have friends who sell all their stuff and downsize for a season so they can build back up something. And as soon as they get into their new place, I think, man, we miss those days when we're living in that apartment. I mean, we don't miss the cramped space, but like we never fought over money. We didn't have any financial concerns. I mean, just that little season of having less was like actually the best season for us. Many people actually have the most contentment with the least amount of stuff. It's weird, except it's exactly what Paul says, which means contentment is neither about what you have or don't have. Like contentment is not a money thing. Contentment is neither about what you have or don't have, but it's about the satisfaction that you have with what you do have and the acceptance of what you don't. That's contentment. I'm satisfied with what I have and I accept what I don't. No big deal. Maybe it's not for me, but it's difficult to get to this place spiritually, says, says who? Jesus. Jesus said it's difficult to get to this place spiritually. It's difficult to get to this place emotionally. It's got to be a goal, but it's a hard journey. He said in Luke 12, 15 um, to the disciples, he said, listen, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus said, listen, watch out that you don't think living is having stuff. Watch out that you don't trick yourself into believing that life consists in your stuff. That's greed, and it's going to end badly. Be careful that you don't think life is about stuff, because life is about contentment, the satisfaction of what you do have, and the acceptance of what you don't. And Jesus said, what you do with your extra show what shows what controls your heart. And Jesus would go on to say, where I spend my extra. Not what I do, but where I spend it shows whether or not I believe that life consists in the abundance of possessions. Where I spend my extra tells you and tells God whether I think life is about me and my stuff. God said, I can look at how you spend your money and I can tell what you think about what is most important in life. Where do I spend my extra? And how do I spend my extra? Who do I spend my extra on? You know, there's really only five things to do with extra money. 
And those of you who are finance experts, I know there are a hundred subcategories beneath each one. And if you go to our finance class, I'll probably teach you those. But when you just look at money and you put it in silos, there's really only five things to, to do with your money. You spend it on hobbies, activities, things you enjoy doing. Um, you can owe it on the bills that you, you, know, you have on your house and on your cars and on your, your gas bill and your electric bill. You can repay it on debt that you've borrowed. You can pay taxes with it. If you have any left over after that, you might save some, even though more than two out of three Americans don't even have a $1,000 saved, so not everyone gets to number four, and you can give it to God and others if you have any left over after that. I mean, there's really only five things to do with extra money. This is how you spend it. But when you look at who you spend it on, if these are your financial priorities, we can look at this chart kind of a different way. Because you look at how you can spend extra money. You say, okay, how do we spend extra money? Well, I spend it on me, or I spend it taking care of me. I guess we give it to America. We, like, we would call that we, forced or unforced. Um, if I save it, that's me later, money I'll spend later. And then if, I guess if I have any left, I can, I can give it to others. See, Jesus says if you want to know your heart financially, if you want to know whether you're content, you have to look at your extra. And you have to look at who gets your extra and in what order? Where I spend my extra tells whether or not I believe that life consists in me having stuff. So you said you need to watch out. And you need to ask yourself every now and then, is that how my life looks? Is, is this the order of my finances? And if it is, what does that say about my contentment? Remember Luke twelve fifteen. Watch out, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possession. Jesus said you need to watch out. When all of your extra gets spent on you, look out. That's not as a Christian where I want you spiritually. When all your extra gets spent on you, watch out. That's not where I want you spiritually. Say why. Let's keep reading. Verses 9 and 10. Paul said those who want to get rich, circle those two words, get rich, It's not a great translation there. I'll give you a better one in a minute. But those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul said those who want to get rich, that's not a great translation. It should be translated live Richly. That's the Greek that Paul used there. People who want to live richly. He didn't say people who are rich. We have a lot of rich people in our church who are both content and very godly. He didn't say if you're rich, you're in a trap. He didn't say if one day you'll be rich, you'll be in a trap. He said if you want to live richly, what is that? If you want to live with more than you have, if you always want just a little bit more, Paul says that's a trap. So if you're in here and you've got a credit card that you can't pay the entire monthly balance on every month, it's because you've tried to live too richly and now you're trapped. Like they own a portion of your finances on some day every month. And if you're in here and you lease a car that you can't really afford anymore or you've you've purchased a car that you're having a hard time keeping up with the payments on and you've not really had a change in your salary, but you, you just, you're struggling to pay. It's because you've lived richly. You've, you've wanted more than you could afford, and now you're trapped. Or if you have a mortgage payment, or you're stuck in a rent that you can't pay, even though you've really not changed your finance situation, you just kind of 
bought too much is because you wanted to live richly. And Paul says, now you're trapped just because you wanted to have more. Listen to what C.S. Lewis, the great British philosopher, said about having more. Tell me if this isn't true in our world. C.S. Lewis, the pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. They just want more. And they want to live more richly. And Paul said, usually it makes people wander from the faith. Some of you are in here, and maybe it's been a while since you've been engaged in church deeply. At some point you were, and then you drifted. Nine out of ten people I talked to that have had a season of their life where they've drifted away from church. It had nothing to do with theology. It had nothing to do with philosophy. It had nothing to do with how loud the music was or what type of worship they had. It had to do with somebody who was eager for more of something that they had, but more of it, and they just pursued their kids' sports or their jobs or their next pay. They just got so eager for something that they thought would give them more gain in life. And after a season away from God, they looked and they thought, man, I'm really distant from Jesus. I have these things now, but none of them has resulted in great gain. I have them, but I don't feel like I have great gain, so maybe I need to come back. That's why Paul says contentment is the very foundation with how we should manage money. And you can measure contentment by how you spend your extra. Principle number seven, you can also manage, measure contentment through your financial priorities. You can measure whether or not you are content by looking at how you spend your money and what you think is most important financially. Look at verse 11 as we continue through 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul said there are a lot of people who want to live richly. They're going to be caught in a trap. But you, man of God, Flee from all this. Get away from that type of thinking and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Listen, Paul told Timothy, godliness with contentment brings great gain. Because here's the reality. You are born with nothing, you die with nothing. So don't make everything in between those about something that life is not about. Instead, focus on what's truly important. You didn't bring anything in, you can't take anything out. However, most people don't live this way. Most want to live richly. Most get in a trap and they find themselves really distant from Jesus because they pursued something they thought would bring them great gain and it didn't. He said, Timothy, do, do the opposite. He said, flee from all this. Run away from that type of thinking. Run away from that type of living. Run away from those type of finances. He's, he's literally saying, run the other direction financially. Some people chase money and what it can give them. They think life is in the abundance of their possessions. Don't let that be you. Run the other way. Make life about different things, not what you have. So how do you run the other direction financially? Well, we said there's only five things you can do with money, right? You can spend it. You can owe it or repay it. You can pay taxes. You can save it. You can give it to God and others. Paul said most people live this way. Me, me, we me, maybe God and others. Paul said, living this way puts you in a trap. Most people are going to live this way. He said, Timothy, do the exact opposite. Let's go to the next screen if you would. Timothy, flee from all this and do it differently. I want you to manage your money differently because the way you spend your extra and the priorities of where you spend your extra, they show whether or not you're content. So he said, Timothy, I want you to run the other way. I want you to start 
by having this generous heart. Give to God and others. And Timothy, I want you to save. I want you to realize God doesn't give you everything for today, but there are rainy days coming, so I want you to save. The, the cool thing about this in the country that we live in, if you do number one and number two, does number three go up or go down in our world? It actually goes down. Like if you give to God and others and then you turn that in when you file your taxes, you'll have to pay less taxes. If you allow your company to dump into your 401k and you set up a Roth IRA and you invest in the future, you actually have to pay less taxes. Like we actually, God says this will help you spiritually. America says this will help you financially. And then with what's left over, pay your expenses, live your life and figure out how to spend to have fun. You see, flipping the order does two things. One, it shows contentment. But you say, Christian, if I live that way, I wouldn't be content. Hang on. It shows contentment, but it also teaches contentment. It teaches you that you have enough, you're sufficient, you're satisfied. And it might take you a long time of living like this to show contentment, but eventually it teaches you contentment because you see yourself as a manager of money, not a maker of money. And you just want to manage what God has given you the way he wants you to do it. Say, why? Look at what Paul tells Timothy. Let's keep reading, verse 17. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. Let's stop right here in case you're thinking of your rich friend. He's talking about you. Say, what? Yeah, remember, Starbucks, cars, houses, houses for our cars, Chick-fil-A, right? That, that, that's us. You're in the top, not just 10% of the world if you own a car, Almost every American lives in the top 2% in the scale of global income. Almost all of us. So for the most part, I just want you to know, he's talking about us. Command those who are rich in this present age, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their help in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich. Here it is. I told you I was going to tell you how to be rich. Command them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul said, Timothy, listen, I want you to live this way, and then I want you to teach other people to live this way. Here should be their priorities. Do good. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. And man, when it comes to money, always be generous and willing to share. These should be your life priorities. Do good. Be rich in good deeds and always be generous and willing to share. You say, why? Because here's what happens. When you do this, here's what you find out. We actually are all most content when we spend time with people who have far less than we do. This week in, in the podcast, Pastor Brandon asked me, he said, Christian, what do you think the best way is for someone to learn to be content? And I said, that's easy. Go on a mission trip. I mean, like that is the easiest question I have ever been asked. I don't know that I can teach someone even through the Bible and I mean the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I can teach someone to experience contentment just through a lesson, but send them on a mission trip. Say, Christian, man, my teenagers are so entitled. Send them to Guatemala this summer with us. Send them to Houston with us when we go down and serve and help clean up Hurricane Harvey. Because when you go to a third world country and see real poverty, you feel rich. Man, I dread the day that I ever get home from Africa or Guatemala or Nicaragua and someone shows up at my house not to sell Girl Scout cookies, but just to ask for everything in my house. Because when you come back from a mission trip, especially when you're brand new to it, you get on the plane and there's this wrestling over your heart. You almost despise the American culture and all your stuff. 
You feel guilty for your stuff. If somebody came knocking and just said, hey, can I have all your clothes? You'd be like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was just in 10, day, 10 days in Africa and I only needed one set. So yeah, really, I don't, I don't need all the clothes in my closet. Could I have one of your cars? Yeah, probably. I mean, I was just in India for 10 days and we kind of walked everywhere anywhere. So I, I guess really we don't need all of that. So yeah, you could do that. Somebody say, could I have all your shoes? I'd be like, you know what? Now, let me pray about that one. I'll have to think. But anything else, anything else I'd be willing to give up when I come home. Why? Because you're most content. Listen, when you do good, when you're rich in good deeds, and when you're willing to share and generous with your life, you know what it builds? Contentment. And Paul says contentment is the foundation of how we want to manage our money. And then he gives this surprise ending to this sad warning. In verse 10, he gives us a sad warning. A lot of people eager for more stuff, man, they walk away from Jesus. But then he gives us this kind of surprise ending. He says, you can wander from the faith chasing money away, or you can wander from the faith chasing money, but you can wander back to faith by prioritizing finances God's way. Say, Timothy, you want to tell people how to start coming back to God? Just tell them to flip the priorities in their life and just watch them begin to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. See, you can wonder from God chasing finances, but you can wonder back to God through the lens of finances. Help others. Don't just live for yourself. Show God he can trust you with money. See, how are we going to do that? Well, now you're going to have to figure out how you're going to do that. The goal of this whole series has been to help you have conversations about money by showing you biblical truth and what could result from it. And I want to show you today, and it's on your sermon notes as well, but I hope as you go home this week and begin to have conversations from the rest of your life, you'll know some biblical guidelines for managing money, and you'll often ask the question, how do we get there? So what are biblical guidelines for finances? Well, if we flip it around and we lay some percentages in, and I'm not a finance person, but I sent these through our finance professionals and said, guys, am I right here? And what I've seen the Bible say and what you teach for good finances, and they said, yes, that's really good. One, we always flip it. We put God first. It's interesting how many people have God fifth, but they go to him first when they need help. God, I need help. And God's like, okay, you've put me fifth your entire life, and now you need me to bail you out. God says, I want to be number one. Not even going to apologize for that. I'm God. I want, I want to be number one. Give to God and others. 10% is what the Bible calls a tithe. That is the standard from the Old Testament through the New Testament that gets given. When it changes in the New Testament, it's to give more, not less. Saving then, anywhere in Scripture, we see from 10% to 20%. When you study the life of Joseph, Joseph would put away 20% for the bad years that would be coming later. Pay your taxes. Most people are going to fall in one of those tax brackets. The more you put into number one and two, the less number three will be. And then you owe it and you repay it 25 to 30%. Then you spend it on what you want to spend it on 25 to 30%. You say, wait a minute, Christian, are you telling me that I should only spend 50 to 60% of what I make on my life? That's what I believe scripture says. And when I talk to all the finance professionals, professionals in our church, that's what they say. Yeah. That you are supposed to live on 50, per six, 50 to 60% of what you make and you will have an impactful life and a safe future if you do it this way. Now, if you're looking at that and say, Christian, it would take me forever to get there. Here's the application. Listen, I get it. Start small, but start now. So it would take me forever to get there. Start small, but start now. Just start at the top. And if you can't put a percent, put a dollar. Start small, but start now. You say, why? Why is money important? Because God wants your heart. 
And God says, your heart is tied to your money. I don't want your money, but I want your heart. So I'm going to have to talk to you about money so that I can create your heart the way I want to create your heart and then give you your heart back to you and give your money back to you and give you the best life through that money. See, God wants your heart. And according to scripture, our heart follows our money and it follows our money all the way to heaven. Did you read verse 19? Verse 19 simply says it this way. When you live this way, do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Flip the script. In this way, you're going to lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In this way, your money follows your heart all the way to heaven when you spend it here. In this way, your money will be waiting for you. Your investment will be waiting for you in heaven so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. Why are we talking about money? Because our goal this year is for you to experience times of refreshment. Remember what the Apostle Peter said in Acts 3.19? He said, those who follow Jesus will experience times of refreshment. But what we want to do is we want to say a prayer and then not live our life the way that Jesus says to live it. Listen, if you give your heart to Jesus, and then if you give your money to Jesus and you spend it the way that he wants you to spend it, Paul says you'll not only have life, you'll have life that's truly life. Like you'll really enjoy your life. Man, if you're in here today and you're sick of living spent, if you're sick of things breaking or being broken just because you're broke because of financial stress, why don't you begin to live the life that's truly life by managing your money God's way? Start small, but start now. You say, Christian, how are we going to do that? Let me give you three challenges for this week. And let me say this. If you just looked at that screen, biblical guidelines for money and thought, there's no way. You really need to come to our finance class. We have a a one-day finance class this Saturday that's free with one of our finance professionals. That same class will then be taught over six weeks on a Thursday night class because we want to help people. We know you can't be free to follow Jesus if you don't have your money in order. You say, I'll be embarrassed to be the only one. We have more than 60 people already signed up for our finance conference on Saturday. You will not be alone. You can sign up on the card in your bulletin. Fix this area of your life. Fix this area of your life and become who God wants you to become. How are we going to do that? Let me give you three baby steps. But if you're a long way from home, you're going to have to get some real finance help too. Here's what you can do this week to start some conversations. I want you to determine your current percentages for each area that you can spend your extra, that you spend your extra money uh, as it currently is, as these areas are. So what do, you, what do you mean? I want you to get your bank statement and I want you to place every dollar in spend it, owe it, repay it, taxes, savings, give it to God. I want you to go determine the percentage. Get your last bank statement. If you have a credit card statement for the year or a bank statement for the entire year, just go place all your stuff in that and look, where did we spend our money last year? What are our priorities? And does it appear from our spending that we think life consists of our stuff? Number two, I want you to start prioritizing finances God's way. I want you to flip the script, even if it's just mentally, in March. By giving and saving... something every time you get paid. Listen, most of our church gets paid like kind of the first and middle of the month. So if you get paid February 28th or March 1st, 
the very next pay period you have, I want you to save at least a dollar and give at least a dollar. Save a dollar, give a dollar. You said said this one about giving. Don't give it here. We don't need it. I have confidence that God has brought people to our church who believe in our vision and will fund it if no one else ever gives. So don't give here. We don't give your money. Do this. Next time you get paid, put a dollar in savings and just go give a dollar to someone. Just give it. Just see what it does to your heart to begin giving generous. Give it to your favorite charity. Give it online somewhere. Don't give it to us if you think all I want is your money. I want God to have your heart. For that to happen, you've got to be generous and willing to share. And then number three, I want you to create a new percentage plan based on the biblical guidelines. How much can I give to others? How much can I save? Where is our tax bracket? What do we owe, repay? What do we have left over to spend for the finances in the date you enacted in 2018? Even if it's 1%, 1%, too much percent, way too much percent, I, I don't even know. Some of you are saying, I don't know how, actually I do know. I spend 100% of my money. Like that was the easiest thing you ever gave. How much of your money do you spend? 100% every month. No, I want you to go put percentages by every column. And I want you to say in 2018, we're going to start very intentionally trying to live this way. Why? Because I want you to take hold of life that's really life. Paul told Timothy, I want you to live life that's really life. But to do that, you got to learn contentment and you got to learn to manage your finances God's way. We pray for you. Lord, thank you for our Bible study time today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Lord, thank you for Paul's mentorship of Timothy that included his finances. And God, I pray that every person in here today, starting with me, Lord, every person that's in here, those watching online, Lord, that we will learn to be content. And Lord, that we will show our contentment through how we spend our extra and how we prioritize our money. Lord, help us to be both godly and content, fine with what we have and obedient with how God wants us to disperse it. Help us with that, God. Show us, Lord, where our extra goes. If we need to be aware of that, to fix this area, show us where our extra goes and help us to be willing to have honest and hard conversations. Lord, show us the priorities that we spend all our money on. Let us go do like this little activity and let us see where our money's being spent and have some hard conversations. And God, help us learn to flip the order, even if it's just a dollar in each area. Help us to learn to flip the order that you might turn our hearts around so that they might follow you, so that we can take hold of life that is really life. God, I pray for Mitch and his team on Saturday as they pour into our people, Lord, at our finance class. Lord, I pray for the ongoing Thursday night class that will happen, and I pray for every person that will be a part of those that they will begin to experience the life that is truly life because they get this area of their life fixed. And God, I pray that the people of our church and that the congregation of Journey Church International, Lord, becomes so generous and willing to share that, Lord, I pray there's a day when there are lines outside our church of people who need help. God, I pray that because of the generosity and the goodness of the people in our church, that there won't be any hungry kids in our community one day. God, I pray that because of the generosity and the goodness of the people in our church, there won't be a single mom or a single dad who has to work two jobs and not have enough time for their kids because there's a church willing to help them. God, I pray there's not a single student in our school district or surrounding school districts that doesn't have a mattress to sleep on or food to eat. God, I pray there wouldn't be one student in the entire school district who doesn't have school supplies because of the generosity and the goodness of our people and our church. Lord, use us to flip the script, to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share so our church might help our community look more like heaven. Start with me. And Lord, move every individual as you would see fit. We love you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen. Just before we go.